We are based actually in the northeast of Spain, in Barcelona area, but we hunt throughout the, the country because most of the species that we hunt in Spain are native. So that means that we have to travel and hunt them at their natural habitat. So it gives you the chance to travel and visit Spain while hunting, which is, I think, is a great way of visiting a country. Most of the hunts that we offer are mountain hunts, alpine hunts, you know. The most popular uh, species to hunt will be the Spanish ibex, and we actually have four subspecies of ibex located in four different, different areas. With, in my case, um, I was lucky enough to guide uh, the world record back in 2013. So, and since then, we, we have five uh, entries at the top 10 of the SCI record book. Welcome to the RNA Outdoors podcast, fueled by Ripcord Arrowrest and First Light Hunting Apparel. At RNA, we are public land DIY conservationists that love to share our passion for the outdoors. So join us and our team as we interview professionals in the industry to share insight knowledge that helps make hunters and anglers more successful. listeners, subscribers, and fellow outdoorsmen and women. This is your host, Lucas Paw, and I'm excited to tell you about some of the sponsors that continue to help make this podcast not only happen, but grow and thrive in this digital world of audio content. This podcast is brought to you by Ripcord Arrowrest, the bowhunter's number one fallaway rest on the market. Ripcord is known for 100% full-time arrow containment and their patented drop-dead brake system that eliminates launcher bounce back. Best of all, Ripcord is backed by their rock-solid guarantee. If the original owner has a part break for any reason, it will be repaired or replaced at no charge. And did I mention? Ripcord is located in southwest Montana, where all their products are made with pride in America. Check them out at ripcordrs.com and on their social media feeds. This podcast is brought to you by First Light Clothing and Hunting Apparel. Born in the Rockies in central Idaho, First Light's mission is to create simple yet proven versatile gear that provides comfort and performance in any situation while working to promote the pursuit of ethical hunting and stewardship. I recently joined the First Light Pro staff team and have continued to be impressed year after year in their innovations in engineering and merino wool fabrics. Ten years ago, they started putting out wool fabrics with camel patterns, and immediately this changed the game. Since then, they offer multiple layering systems and kits in various proprietary patterns and continue to raise the bar with their competition. Find them online at firstlight.com or under their social media feeds. Go farther, stay longer.
Welcome listeners to the RNA Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Pa, coming to you from Reno here at the Sheep Show. It's been an exciting few days so far. I think we're on day three here at the Sheep Show, so a lot of good things happening, the banquets, the uh, 1% Club, a lot of neat uh, activities that go on during the course uh, of the show. Fortunately, the weather's been good enough to get people in and out, so so far we've been really blessed with uh, with a really good show. Um, this morning, uh, I'm here with a really special guest, uh, Bruno Rosich, who I actually met in Dallas this year um, with a mutual friend, Jason Quick. Jason has been uh, to Bruno's concession. I believe he brought his father out there and had a really great time, and maybe we can roast Jason a little bit throughout the course of the podcast. But uh, uh, Bruno is a very distinguished uh, outfitter uh, in Spain. He was the 2017 Houston Safari Club Professional Hunter of the Year. So when you think about PH of the Year, that's a huge designation. Um, Eight-time nominee for SCI Outstanding International PH Hunter of the Year. So a lot of credentials, a lot of, um, you know, obviously distinguished uh, accolades uh, with Bruno. And I'm very fortunate uh, this morning uh, to cut a little bit of his time here in Reno to talk to him. So anyway, Bruno, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. So... Maybe, Bruno, if you could, um, maybe just talk a little bit about, um, you know, yourself and then maybe kind of the history uh, of trophy hunting Spain. Okay. Well, myself as a, as a guide and outfitter, I started back in 1995 uh, with a family-run business with my brother. And uh, I was, we were partners until 2009. And then, you know, working with family is not always easy. Sure. And we took the decision just to split. And uh, you know what? Nowadays we have an excellent relationship, like brothers. So that's what that was the plan. Yeah. You know. And then in 2009, actually 2010, I started uh, trophy hunting in Spain by myself. And since then, you know, been offering uh, very specialized uh, mountain hunts in Spain. Our service is very personalized. All our hunts are custom made. Okay. So basically, my clients tells me uh, what they would like to hunt. And we put it together for them. So from the very beginning, from the moment they arrive to the airport in Barcelona or Madrid, mm-hmm. to the moment they leave, everything is arranged. Okay. Hotels, guides, transfers, permits, etc. Gotcha. Um, and thinking about kind of the location in Spain, I guess what part of the country are you guys kind of in in terms of, of proximity? We are based actually in the northeast of Spain, in Barcelona area. Okay. But we hunt throughout the, the country. Because most of the species that we hunt in Spain are native. So that means that we have to travel and hunt them at their natural habitat. Sure. So it gives you the chance to travel and visit Spain while hunting, which is, I think, is a great way of visiting a country. Yeah, which I think we'll get to. But, I mean, always kind of see Spain as a destination area for, you know, a lot of us Americans, a a lot of history there. So maybe we can reflect a little bit on that. Thinking about, um, you know, the hunting concession, you know, you, you know, since 95. So, you know, you know, 20 plus years of experience. Um, Maybe talk a little bit about what you have to offer in terms of the lands, the topography, um, kind of what a hunter would expect uh, when he goes with you? Well, basically, um, most of the hunts that we offer are mountain hunts, alpine hunts, you know. I was saying that Spain is a big hunting destination, and the Spanish people hunt a lot. And the thing is, we do have, believe it or not, a lot of mountains. It's the second most mountainous uh, country in Europe after Switzerland. Okay. So we have the Pyrenees, we have the Sierra Nevada Mountains, the Gredos Mountains, and you name it, a lot of mountains. So 
basically our, all our hands are in the mountains, you know. So, you know, the ibex is, is a goat, so mm -hmm. they live in the mountains. Chamois is a goat, so they live in the mountains. And uh, so anything who is willing to go hunting in Spain have to re be ready for a mountain hunt, yeah. you know, uh, bring good, good gear, good hiking boots, you know, and uh, so that's, that's what they can expect, how they can picture it. Yeah, when, when, when you think of the mountains, I think of, um, you know, I've been to New Zealand Alps, and of course I've hunted all over the Rocky Mountains. Is, is there anything that compares to Spain, like the Pyrenees and some of those mountains, if you could, exp if you could maybe compare it to some range? Yeah, I would say the, the Pyrenees are pretty much like, will be like your Rockies, okay. you know, uh, and you have, we, we have actually a lot of snow in wintertime. People don't think about Spain and snow. Sure. We have a lot of ski resorts out there. Okay. Then uh, Sierra Nevada Mountains are, I don't know if uh, you're familiar with the uh, Taurus Mountains in Turkey. It's the same way, you know, it's very broken, huge canyons. Okay. You know, so people think, oh, we're going to shoot from canyon to canyon. Like, well, maybe we have 1,200 meters to have in the earth, you know, so sure. it's very, very big mountains, you know. Yeah. And again, and with a lot of snow in the top, you know, we usually, we're hunting basically around 7,000 feet high at the highest, so some people think that thin air can be a problem. It's not, we, we usually don't hunt that higher than this because the animals like to be lower okay. because there's more food, so sure. there's more animals. Gotcha. Okay. Speaking of animals, um, maybe what we'll do is we'll dive in and just kind of understand um, the various species of animals um, that you offer. And, you know, clearly I know you've talked about mountain hunting. So, you know, some of these, um, you know, will probably sit more in the mountains versus maybe in certain areas. But maybe let's just kind of walk through what species you offer uh, your hunters. Okay. The, the most popular uh, species to hunt will be the Spanish ibex. And we actually have four subspecies of ibex located in four different, different okay. areas. The main thing between the four is the configuration of the horns. Um, the one, the, one of the ones we hunt the most is will be the besete ibex. The besete okay. ibex is located uh, three, three, three hours away, three, three and a half hours away from Barcelona, uh, depending on where you're hunting them, and is the one that is the white, has the widest horns. Um, then we have um, the Gredos Mountains, the Gredos Ibex. In the Gredos Mountains, two hours, three hours, depending on where you hunt it, west of Madrid. So we'll be more okay. in the center of, of Spain. And then the other two, the Southeastern and the Ronda, are located in the south of Spain. Uh, the Southeastern is uh, located in the Sierra Nevadas Mountains and the foothills and all that area. And it's, uh, it's the, the, the configuration of the horn is more round, it grows more to the back. And the Ronda is a more straight and usually the smallest one. Okay. And the, one of the toughest ones to hunt as well. Okay. Uh -huh. um, it, in terms of the four species of, of Spanish ibex, um, you know, what is the most desirable out of those four, would I'll, you say, when you get most hunters? I will say that there will be two. Gredos and Besete are the biggest. With, in my case, um, I was lucky enough to guide uh, the world record back in 2013. Wow. So, and since then, we, we have five uh, entries at the top 10 of the SCI record book. So that brought us some cachet. Sure. I would say, you know, people like, hey, when they're looking at the book and they see your name, they're like, well, this guy knows where to hunt these animals, yeah. you know. So we are probably the outfitter who has a better better areas for, for Besete Ibex, and that's why we, that's the animal we hunt the most. Okay. But then Gredos also, we hunt around 20 permits a year of Gredos, uh, all kind of permits, you know. Because the good thing about Gredos, uh, we hunt in the, in the oldest national preserve. It was okay. created in 1905, just to preserve that species. And, um, and then since then, 
it's amazing that not only the population of Ibex has been growing amazingly, also the, um, the quality. They have a very good quality. The good thing about this place is that they can let leave these animals as long as they can. They actually, some of them, they die of age. Wow, yeah, they lose old age. Yeah, yeah, but that's a good thing. You have an idea that if an, av- an average age for an Ibex to leave is about 15 years. Wow. The average age that we hunted in Gredos was 14 years. So you're taking oh, them right at the probably correct. the most mature yeah. age class that they can be. Correct. Actually, wow. it's uh, it's fascinating when you're hunting. Uh, most of the hunters they're looking for the, the horns, you know, and they mm-hmm. oh look at big horns, how beautiful. We look at that too, but we look mainly to the hips. We look to the to the back legs to see when they start to lose power to start to get more skinny, and you start to see the bone of the hip. Okay. That animal is ready to They're be starting taken. to degrade at that Correct. point. Correct. That's a good animal to take. It's like, I always say it, it's like a farmer with a garden with tomatoes. You can have a beautiful red tomato. It's great for the picture, but it's still green inside. Yeah. Let, let it live another two years. Right? In this case, let it live each two days. Yeah, you know, a tomato. Days. Yeah. But in the I case of Ibex, you can let it live you know, a little longer sure. until they start to, to lose power, and, and then it's the right time to get it. And I think that, you know, that's something that when you think about trophy class and quality, you know, you know, in the States, you know, you can hunt anything from, you know, animals like a spike all the way up to a very mature animal. But, you know, the whole trophy hunting, you know, philosophy comes into play. But to me, trophy hunting is about taking the, you know, the, the best age, most mature animal, mm-hmm. you know, out of the group because they may die of old age Correct. in another year. At the same time, they've had multiple years to procreate and live. So I think that's great from a standpoint of how you guys, you know, age your animals versus just looking at horns, looking at antlers. Correct. Um, there's more behind it than that. So that's cool. Um, Bruno, maybe explain a little more about your mountain hunting. So clearly, you know, the Spanish Ibex is, is one of the most desirable, but you also said you offer mufon sheep and Correct. chamois. So. Correct. Uh, we have an exclusive area up in the Pyrenees, about three hours north uh, of Barcelona, right in the French border. We have around 14,000 acres of land. And in there we, is where we hunt the free-ranging Iberian mufon sheep. Okay. And then we hunt also Pyrenean chamois. And in the same area, we have other species like uh, roe deer, which is a, hunt, is a spring hunt, and as well as Iberian red stack and fallow deer, and then a ton of, of pigs, a wild boar, okay. what you call the Russian boar. Yeah. And uh, so that's, you know, that's the other two animals, uh, Pernian, Chamois, and the Mouflon. It's, uh, if somebody loves to hunt in the mountains and is in good, very good shape and is willing to have a challenging hunt, that's his hunt. Sure. Because it's, 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 a, it's one of my favorite hunts to do yeah. in Spain. In terms of the mountain hunting, um, do you tend to see more method to take rifle hunters? Do you take archery hunters? Or what's kind of your breakdown for, for my, method? In my case, uh, I, have, I have, and I still will have, I guess, some bow hunters. But this type of hunting, you're definitely more effective with the rifle. Sure. You know, um, mountain hunting, especially these species, are not easy to get within a 40-yard, 50-yard distance. And in my case, I'm very picky with the age. I see that some other areas where they're hunting with the bow, uh, they, uh, they're taking younger animals because sure. they're basically the bow hunter takes the opportunity. That's the opportunity, right? Correct. Which is, I, it's fair. And I, I don't want any of the bow hunters who's listening to us 
to get upset with me. Sure. But that's my my experience. Yeah. And I'm very very picky with uh, with the age, and I wanna I wanna do a good management. And I think that with rifle you do a better management than the with bow and arrow. Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, I. I hunted in um, New Zealand, and I started with my bow and uh, had gotten up to about 80 yards of this tar that, with a 40-mile-an-hour wind, um, it became very clear what the right ethical method to take was. But, you know, mountain hunting is difficult, even in the States, for, you know, sheep and, you know, Rocky Mountain goats. I mean, it's tough hunting, you know, with a bow. So that makes sense, you know, that rifle or, or firearms become more of a desirable method to take. Um, and, and just on some of the other deer species, um, you know, your, your roe deer, clearly roe deer are somewhat of a desirable species as well because they're, they're not very prevalent, right? Versus like the red stag and some of the other yeah, fallow deer. And it's a very European animal to take, you yeah. know, for you guys, for Americans. Uh, the, the, if you think about an European animal, most of the people, what they f- think first is a roe deer. Sure. And, and the good thing about the roe deer, as I said, is mainly a spring hunt. We can hunt it from April till August and then from September to, to late October. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but the best time is April, May. When it's just starting the spring, the, the, there's no grass inside of the woods, and the, all the grass are in the fields, so they start leaving the woods and looking okay. for this fresh grass. So it's when you have more chances, and it's more fun to hunt them. Yeah. I've been told, I never hunted mule deer in the United States, but many of the American hunters that hunted roe deer with me in the Pyrenees, which is, a road, I would like to say that's a roe deer that lives in the mountains, not in the plains, they say that it's really similar to the way you hunting here at Mule Deer. Okay. And uh, they, uh, they, everybody who hunt them, they actually absolutely love it. Huh. Um, is, there, is there any time that you're hunting these animals during their breeding cycle or their rut, or is it more of when the green grass is there and their, their nutrient base is better? Or? Okay, the, the road deer, the rut, usually late July, early August, which is a very good time of the year to hunt them as well. But let me tell you something. It's so hot that you have one hour in the morning and one hour in the evening. Gotcha. For a local hunter like me, that I can just wake up earlier, go kill one hour of my morning hunting roe deer, go back and go back to the office, it's awesome, and then kill another hour in the evening. For someone who comes from, from here, from United States, just for one hour in the morning, where yeah. I'm living, I don't see the point. Yeah. No, so I that's that. why we try not to offer it, because it's not as fun. Yeah. You know? Okay. Um, I'd like to really understand, so... I sign up to come to Spain for, you know, let's say 2019. And I guess I want to kind of understand, you know, what would the hunter expect coming out to your concession and maybe break it down from, you know, travel preparation um, to once they get there in the lodge and just kind of what a hunter would expect, Correct. Uh, even a non-hunter as well, if, if desired. Yeah. I will start first with the preparation of the trip. You know, a lot of uh, common questions that people ask me is, can I take my gun? You know, and of course, yes, we are a gun-friendly gun country. And there's a little bit of paperwork that we need to do through the Spanish consulate, but it's very simple, you know, and I will assist, uh, I assist uh, every, all of my clients. And, uh, one, and then the preparation, they, I always tell them, try to practice, you know, uh, shoot as much as you can, try to be ready to shoot up to 350 yards if possible. The farther, the better. Sure. Not because I want them to shoot far, it's just because I want them to be comfortable when it comes to a, a moment that you need to take that shot, you yeah. know? And then exercise, come to in the best shape, shape possible, you know, because uh, it's not a matter of they're not going to make it. They're going to make it, but I want them to enjoy it. If you're in good shape, you're not going to be <laughs> buffing and buffing, yeah. you know. You won't, you're going to enjoy this, the, the view, yeah. the scenery, the animals. Yeah. So I always said, you know, try to come in good shape. And then... Um, 
once they come to Barcelona or Madrid, you know, I always suggest them to spend a couple of days either in, in, in Madrid or Barcelona uh, for two reasons, mainly for getting, you know, rest and, and try to beat the jet lag, mm -hmm. which always can be an issue. Uh, because we are between six to nine hours ahead, depending on where in the United okay. States you are. Yeah. So that can be. So there's kind of an acclimation period there for them. Correct. And then uh, also, both cities offer so much. You know, Barcelona was founded by the Romans 200 years before Christ. Since then, the, Mo the Moorish, the Cartagineses, the Ottomans, everybody was there. So we have so much to, to, to show, you know. Plus, in Barcelona, it's very related to the history of America. Christopher Columbus's documents are stored in Barcelona. Then the architecture in Barcelona, it's amazing. You know, the cathedrals that we have, we have medieval cathedrals. We have the last cathedral, it's not even finished. So it's so much to do, and then very good restaurants, very good shows, great shopping, and then good, very good weather. So it's definitely a, a very touristy destination, and it is really worth it to spend a couple of days before the hunt starts. Then uh, when, when, whenever we decide that we're going to start the hunt, I, we pick up the clients at their hotel, and then we drive either to the Pyrenees, to Besete, to wherever they want to go. Uh, and then uh, when we get to the, to the first uh, hunting destination, the first thing we do, we zero the rifles. We make sure that either he's bringing his rifle or using mine. I want to make sure that that rifle is 100% sure and 100% accurate. And I, if in the case that, <clears throat> that he's using my rifle, I want him to, to feel the trigger to, and then build confidence in this rifle. You know, yeah, as a hunter, I like to shoot with my own rifle. You know? sure. If you had a chance to shoot it the, 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 to the target three or four times, you know how this rifle reacts, you know, and then when you're hunting, you, you know, you, you're better You're shot. comfortable. Correct, yeah. correct. And then uh, from there we go hunting, you know, we go hunting and uh, usually the day, depending on what you're hunting for, you know, uh, depending also on the time of the year we're hunting, when the days are longer, then uh, during the day the animals bed down, usually it warms up about, depending on the time of the year, about high 60s, maybe low 70s. And so sometimes we make a break. If we are close to the hotel, we might go back to the hotel, have a rest, have something for lunch, and then we, come, we, we hunt again in the afternoon. When the days are shorter, usually November, December, or March, it's uh, when usually we don't come back to the hotel. We just leave in the morning, come back in the evening. We pack lunch. Depending where we're hunting, what type of hunting we're doing, we put uh, either I, I can get some uh, Spanish um, sausages and jamón, Spanish ham, cheese, and fresh bread. And if it's more a mountain hunt, like a chamois or a mouflon sheep, that where you where the weight is an issue, usually we go with protein bars. Okay. Know? And I yeah. always ask the client what he prefers, and we can pack either sure. one or the other. And and then we always, when, you know, we come back to the lodge or to the hotel, and they always have a nice dinner, you know, Mediterranean cuisine. We are very picky with the places where we eat and where we stay because uh, it's I think it's very important, you know, to offer that good service. Yeah. And of course, uh, good Spanish wines. We have very good wines. The, most of our clients, besides the exercise that they do while hunting, most of the time they come back home with a little bit of extra weight. Hey, yeah. But that means you met the objective, right? Right, exactly. So part of what you were saying, so once you pick them up, and, and depending on the species they're going to hunt, you know, this isn't like your typical, I would say, safari where you go to one place and you're there for, you know, seven days. And I mean, this could be, depending on if you're hunting 
you know, if you're hunting the Greedos in one place, then you want to hunt roe deer, you could be in two different locations Correct. throughout the course of the hunt then? Yeah, most of the, our hunting are like this. For multiple species, it's very, except for the Pyrenees, it's very strange that we, we stay in the same place hunting two different species. And that actually gives you a chance, as I said, to, to, visit the, um, to visit the country. And this is ex- very exciting, for, especially for the non-hunters. Spain is, uh, as we were saying, we have so much history and culture that I really invite the non-hunters to, to join us in this trip yeah. because uh, they're going to have a, as a good time as a hunter will. Um, we can provide them a tour guide that she will be traveling with us from the very beginning. So what we do is in the morning, the hunter and I, we go hunting, I or Oscar or any other guys with us. And then uh, the ladies or the non-hunters, they, they join the, the tour guide and they go explore the highlights of its area. For example, when you're in Gredos, you can go and explore the town of Toledo that used to be the capital of Spain. It's known for the three cultures because the Jewish, the Muslims, and the Christians used to live in peace there once, and it's very rich culturally. You can go to Avila, which is uh, one of the most famous walled towns in Spain, and it has a beautiful cathedral. Go to Segovia, which is famous for the Roman aqueduct that was built over 2,000 years ago and still there and in great shape and visit the castle of uh, Segovia as well, etc. And that's in Gredos. When you go to the south in Granada to visit the Alhambra, which is, uh, was the last uh, headquarters, the last fort of the Muslims when they were in Spain until they were expelled back in 1492. Uh, or visit the little town of uh, Santa Fe, Santa Fe, Spain, the original okay. Santa Fe. That's where Christopher Columbus and the Catholic monarchs signed the documents the private documents to allow Christopher Columbus to go to Amer- to the wow. East India and that being America. So there you're there like, wow, that's the, that's the beginning of my history, you know, and, and that's just by the hunting area. So we try to put all these things together. So that's incredible. Overall, it's a great experience. Yeah. You know? And you think about, you know, if you do bring a non-hunter or even if you come as a group, I mean, it almost seems like you need to spend probably a week on the back end after right. your trip just at to, least. at least to take in some of that, you know, or it's another trip, but Correct. Um, that, that's, that's incredible. Um, thinking about, so some of the packages that you offer, I know that, that you said earlier that they're more custom fit or tailored fit based on the species of animal um, that the hunter's looking at, but um, I guess kind of maybe walk through, are they seven day? Are they 10 day? I mean, what kind of can they expect from just a general package standpoint? We usually, we usually count three days per piece. Uh, again, it depends on the speed and it depends uh, if there is some t- uh, traveling between different areas and also it depends on the time of the year. But you t- for example, a package that we put together very commonly and it's uh, the combination of Gredos Ibex and Besete Ibex. So the hunter and, the, and his party, they land in Madrid. They spend a few days in Madrid. So we pick them up early in the morning, around 6.30 in the morning uh, in Madrid. Then we drive for two hours. We get to the lodge, actually it's a hotel, it's a beautiful hotel, and we, st- we have breakfast for 30 minutes. And at nine o'clock we, we leave, we zero the rifle, and we're hunting. So that first day we are already hunting. Yeah. Then when we finish that hunt, it can be one or two days depending on the luck, we travel to Besete, which is in the northeast of Spain. We hunt Besete Ibex for, for three days, roughly. Four days sometimes, depending if it's in the spring hunt, maybe we'll regard it next day. And then we finish the trip in Barcelona. So this way they have a chance to visit Barcelona after the hunt. Gotcha. So usually it's a seven-day hunt plus a seven-day trip for before and after and traveling. So in a, in a 14 days, 
vacation, they can visit the, the two visit at the biggest and most famous uh, towns in Spain, and hunt the two biggest uh, Spanish ibex. Okay, so that's, that's a that's a package that we put together, and people absolutely love it. Yeah, that seems like a good, Com- uh, yeah, a good combination of of you know both locations and different, multiple species. And then the people who hunt this first, it's very common that a couple of years later, three years later, or maybe next year. What they do, they come back and they hunt the two species in the south. They fly in and out of Malaga, which is a beautiful town on the coast, also with, uh, with some, uh, some Roman ruins and some Arab uh, fort. It's very nice to visit. And from there, we hunt the Ronda. We drive an hour and a half to, ro- to the Ronda Mountains. Okay. Uh, and then from there, we have another hour and a half from, to the Sierra Nevada Mountains. So that's usually a six-day trip. And we, they, they complete their slam. There are other people that, are, that they like to do all four in one trip. So that's usually a 12-day hunt. We start, as I said, in Madrid, go to Gredos, hunt the Gredos. From Gredos, we drive south, hunt the Ronda first, then southeastern. And then when we finish with the two in the south, we drive northeast towards uh, Besete. We hunt the Besete Abex, and we finish the trip in Barcelona. Wow, that sounds like a busy... 12 to 14 days? It can be. It, re- it really depends. You know, uh, I like to schedule in 12 days. It used to be 14, but it was too many days. There are some other people that they schedule 10 or less. I, the way I like to hunt, I like to pass animals that have potential. I don't like to be rushed. That's why I like to have 12 days. And you can have one day of bad weather or sure. just bad luck. So I like to not to rush it. And also it's better for the non-hunters because the non-hunters is way they can visit every single area properly while we're hunting. Sure. If, if you just killing and going ahead, you know, then, then the non-hunter like, well, I was planning to see that. I didn't have the chance to see it, yeah. you know. So this way everybody's happy. You know, I had a... I had a comment many years ago that I had uh, two couples from Mexico. And uh, towards the end of the trip, one of them, well, actually, both of, both of the hunters approached me and said, Bruno, this is awesome. I said, well, thank you. I'm glad you're enjoying it. He said, no, no, you don't understand it. It's, it's awesome because our wives, they're having such a good time. They don't even realize that we're hunting. So it gives us a chance to go hunting somewhere else. <laughs> so yeah, so, if they're having a great time, that means they're going to get more opportunity. And that's our goal, that everybody have a good, has that's to have cool. a good time. You that's know? great. And I think the experience is so important. I mean, you know, beyond you know, the, the take of the animals, I think it's just the whole experience, Correct. right? I mean, it's, it's a different country. It's a place that you talk about all the history there. I mean, I think of, when I think of Spain, I think of Barcelona, I think of the Olympics. Like when I was a kid, you know, the Olympics came there. So there's so much, you know, raw history. And you talk about, you know, Christopher Columbus and all the, I mean, just incredible uh, amounts of history there that, uh, you probably couldn't take it all in in one trip, but no. it sounds like you may want to split your slam up and maybe come twice to, to, to I, capture that. I personally suggest it. A lot of people push the, the Spanish Javier Grand Slam, you know, and I, I mean, I don't, don't get me wrong, I, I would do it every year. Yeah. But my experience says that I think that I, I see it, that they want, they enjoy it better if they do it by, you know, portions. Yeah. You get more focus trips. on each area, you know, and 
takes time yeah. to do things properly. There's probably less pressure too. I mean, yes. you think about harvesting four animals in 12 days. I mean, it's probably a grind to some extent. Like say, if you get a day of bad weather. So if you can break it up a little bit and maybe do two and two, it'd probably make for a little better experience. Definitely. Definitely. Okay. Um, so once the animals are harvested, maybe talk a little bit about, um, you know, the process of taxidermy, Correct. you know, trophy shipment. Sometimes, you know, folks want to use their own taxidermists mm-hmm. back in the States, or maybe you guys have preference there. Kind of ha- walk us through that process. Sure. What we do is uh, we, we work with a taxidermy in, uh, in Barcelona area that he's very, very good and very organized, which that's, how, that's why I like to, to work with him. And we actually offer both to, to our clients, you know, there is uh, some clients that they prefer to do the taxidermy here in the U.S. because they have a trophy room and they will know exactly how they want it. And uh, but on the other hand, it's true that our taxidermy he knows the species very well. Yeah. And he mounts them very, very, very nicely. So, so I, I know it's something that I don't like to push. You know, I, I we offer it and they can choose whatever, either one way or the other. Now, when animals either mounted in Spain or ready to be shipped, what we do is, uh, well, then in the case that he's not going to mount it, we're going to tan the heights and boil and disinfect the, the skulls to the point that literally you could, when you get it home, you can hang it on the wall and okay. do it a beautiful European mount. It's yeah. that clean, you know? And then uh, we credit and we have to do some paperwork like vet certificates and stuff like this. And then uh, we send the, the crate to customs they they estimate the cost of shipping, you know, the freight and everything, and then we contact the client and we send him an invoice for the cost of the first taxidermy, vet certificate, the crating, and the the, the shipment itself. And they wire the money and we send them the box. Okay. Um, so that we used to be we used to do in the past to to put all the all the trophies together in one box, but what happened? We used to send it to Texas. So we had not many, but a few complaints about people. I'm talking about maybe 15 years ago. People from the East Coast, they say, oh, I'm paying a shipment all the way to Texas to go back East to the East Coast. So finally, I decided, you know what? This is nothing. I mean, my main goal is I want the client to receive his trophies. Sure. So just tell me how you want to uh, to be shipped. Tell me what broker you want to use in the U.S., what taxi you want to use in the U.S., and we'll ship it there. And we don't want to push things because, you know, that's very particular. Sure. And so far, so good. You know, the good thing about uh, the species in Spain, except for the audit that uh, we cannot hunt anymore, the, all the other species that uh, we had in Spain, they don't require ascites. Okay. So that makes the shipping very easy. Sure. You know, we have to do some paperwork, but it's not, it's very simple and we don't have any issues shipping yeah. the trophies to the United States. There's a lot of, you know, there's been controversy with certain species of animals coming into the States. I, you know, I think in like Africa, you know, there's, right, there's, there's, there, yeah, there's quite a bit, a lot of the airlines are now, you know, not supporting that. So to have, you said, a, 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 a firearm friendly country and then obviously a, a, a tax taxidermy friendly country. I think that's important too, because yeah. people want to know if they go there and they, you know, harvest these animals. I think the memories on the wall are, you know, last a lifetime. It's so. very important. We, we always say the hunt is over when the, when the, when this animal is mounted yeah. in, in the wall. Absolutely. You know, not when the animal is in the ground, you know, so we want to make sure that everything goes the way it should be, you know? Good. Um, Bruno, just kind of reflecting back, thinking, you know, you've, like say, you've been established, you're going on year, you know, 23 now. Is there one experience or one hunt or a hunter or just specific um, experience that you've had where, I mean, 
it was funny. It was fun. It was difficult. It was, is there anything that jumps out at you over your time of, of guiding and, and hunting in Spain? I'm sure there are many now that to, to remember them. I mean, there was a, I wasn't guiding. It was with my company. Was uh, Oscar was guiding this guy? And of course, we're not going to mention any name. Sure. He he took the hunt because uh, his friend hunted with me two years before. But his friend uh, he had a terrible accident and actually had to postpone that trip. And he came the year after. So I knew that he was not hundred percent there. He hunted all four ibexes with me in one trip. And he was successful, but I made sure that I made it as easy as possible sure. because he broke his back. Wow. So he couldn't ride horses. He could he had to be careful riding the, the four-wheel drive. Of course, hiking, he was not doing very well. So we, I managed to just to hunt in the areas where it was easier and, and collect the animals he was looking for. And he, he shot very nice animals. Yeah. But it was a pretty simple hunt. And actually, we finished it in eight days. Wow. You know? So what happened was uh, when he came back home, of course, I learned that after... That, oh, really? Yeah. So that, you didn't know that going into it? No. So he talked to his friend, and his friend, he's kind of a new hunter, and he never hunted internationally, so he tell him, oh, you have to hunt with Bruno, you have a good time, you know, have to take your wife, all these things, you know? So he, he was guided by Oscar, you know, my guy, who's excellent, and, and he started playing goofy the first day. I thought, everybody has a, a bad day. But no, we realized that he thought it was going to be a very easy hunt. And of course, he was a, he, a guy in his 40s. I thought, ah, this guy, we can, yeah. you know, physically, we can do more things, you know. Nothing, nothing crazy, but, you know, but instead of using a horse or four-wheel drive, let's hike up there, you know, and things like that. And he, he, he wanted to hunt uh, two species of Ibex and then the Pyrenees. And the Pyrenees are demanding. So anyway, when after, towards the end of the trip, he's hunting in the Pyrenees and it's, there's some snow in the ground. And he slides, and he starts going down the hill, but nothing bad. And Oscar, who is a, is a big guy, a big guy, strong, you know, very athletic, he grabbed him from the arm, and he said, come on, I'll help you up. And he said, he looked at Oscar and said, no, let me go, let me go. This way no the helicopter way. <laughs> will rescue me, and that will be over. And like, come on, you know, I'm not going to let you go. Yeah. Come on, let's go hunting, you know. <laughs> I think he was tired at that moment, you sure. know, and kind of hit a wall. And, a and he bit. had and he had the, his friends uh, experiencing his head, yeah. thinking, you know, oh, you know, it's, he told me it will be easy, and that's a little bit more demanding than I thought, huh. you know. And he wasn't ready. I guess he wasn't sure. ready, you know. And so that's why we try. Even a hunt is already booked. We always send videos of our hunts to our clients so they can learn more about it because I can I can explain their hunt in a thousand words but it's nothing better than images and especially videos you know so we, we show them these videos so they can see the type of terrain uh, what type of hunting it is you know so they can kind of get ready for that hunt you yeah know? and I think that's important because you know you can read books and you can do a lot of things but most most humans learn visually or three-dimensionally so if you can provide them photos provide them videos at least they have an idea of what they're in for right, right and right. and if they've hunted alpine or, or mountain type topography they know what to expect right and, you know and like you say I, I was going through your website which is very informative um you know which is uh, really around the preparation and you have a section around health and exercise right. and uh you know i think I don't see that very often on a lot of, um, you know, outfitters, uh, web pages. And it's so important because I think it makes the experience better it is. if they are in yeah. better shape. Definitely. You know, it's, it's frustrating as a guide, you know, that you, you have all these 
great hunt organized and you have your expectations and we go to get up there and we hopefully we see that group that we saw last week, you know, and suddenly you have this hunter that he told you he's in great shape and all these things and suddenly like, oops, we cannot get up there. You know, and uh, and it's frustrating for both of us, for the hunter as well, you know. Yeah. So that's why we try to prepare them, you know. Yeah, so. that's great. I mean, you spend a lot of time and money and, you know, it takes yeah. a couple of years to prepare for this. That's, you know, you should, you should come prepared. So, um, Bruno, maybe talk a little bit about, um, so 2018, um, we're here. So you were at Dallas Safari and here at Cheap Show. What other trade shows are you planning to uh, be at this circuit? We are going to go uh, next week at the, to Houston, to the Houston Safari Club. As you can see, I, yeah. I have a good reputation down there. And PH have, of the year, yeah. And I, I hang it with a lot of their members. I am actually a member of the Houston Safari Club, and it's, it's, I always look forward to, to that convention. It's, it's fun, and it's, it's, very, it's worth it for me to go. And then I'm going to go to the SCI show in Vegas. I always go since the beginning. And uh, also it's a very good show. And then uh, this year, actually, I attended um, a one-night uh, fundraiser in San Antonio, Texas, for the South Texas uh, Dallas Safari Club of DSC the chapter. And actually, it was very good. Very good group of people, you know. And it's a smaller venue, but they give you a chance to talk to a lot of uh, folks, you know. And especially, you know, we handed with several of their members. So they bring their friends, you know, that's the best publicity that we can have, a word to mouth, you yeah. know. And thinking about, um, so we've heard a lot of great things uh, about your concession. So if someone's interested in wanting to come to Spain and hunt with you, I mean, what would you recommend the best way for, for listeners to reach out to you and, and start talking about maybe booking a hunt? You know, since we spend so much time in the field, the phone is not a good idea <laughs> because first the, the different time you know, zones that we are. And then we usually are hunting and we cannot be on the phone. So the, the best way is just send me an email, you know, I'm pretty good at replying emails. And I will send you, you know, all the information, all the details, prices, conditions, packages, the videos and pictures we're talking about. Even I created files for different sizes of Ibex so you can learn about how, how a bronze medal looks like, how a silver medal looks like, how, and then the price sheet attached so you know how much it costs okay. just to avoid any surprise. Okay. So usually that's a good starting point, you know, so I always say just study it, let me know what you think, let me t- tell me what is your main interest, what species you would like to hunt, come back to me and I will tell you when is the best time, how many days, then I usually prepare a quote, you know, and uh, with all the details. Uh, again, no surprises. Okay. And uh, we go from there. Usually okay. that's, that's the best way to do it. And then um, your website, social media, do you have outlets that you can let the listeners know about? We actually, um, I try, you know, I use uh, Instagram and I, I'm pretty active trying to educate hunters that never hunted in Spain what to expect and what because yeah. with all this social media there is a, a lot of good stuff but there's a lot of things be that, good and bad exactly yeah. and now that it's funny that we can see what other people are hunting and, and, and I don't want them to get me wrong you know there's a great outfitters out there but there are some that are not doing things right and it just it just break my heart when I see these animals that are still young. I mean, everybody commits mistakes, don't get me wrong. But when you see these guys shooting young animals constantly, and they tell you, oh, wow, Ibex of a lifetime, or great bronze medal, like, no. No, you're lying to your audience. You're intoxicating them. Sure. You know, so I, what I try to do through, through my Instagram account is just to educate 
the the the, the, the hunters that they're willing to come to Spain. Okay. What is an old animal? Why I'm taking an animal or not? Uh, what we talked before, you can look like the horns are very big, and they're big, but it's, but the last growth is still is still big, so the animal has potential, so let it grow, let it get older and, and, and shoot him another year, things like that, so people can understand better what they're going to, you know, when they're going to hunt with me, you know, and we're not going to shoot just the first habits we're going to see, we're going to just take our time and try to find, the, try to shoot the right animal that yeah. need to be shot. Well, I think if you use social media platforms for education purposes, like you're talking about, um, there's a lot of good in that, right? Yeah. And, and you do see some of it, it's about how many followers do you have, but which can really mean nothing. I mean, it, if you have quality photography, I've always thought if you, if you provide quality content on social media, that attracts people. And it can tra- sometimes attract a different level of people, Correct. too. And, and, real, and real material. Yeah. You know, I recently got contacted by, uh, by um, another account that they have almost 30,000 followers. And they basically, they were trying to, to sell me that account. It's like, but why I want to have 30,000 followers that I don't know, who are they? Are, they, re- are they real? Yeah. Are they hunters? Are they willing to hunt with me? So my account, I don't know, to be honest with you, how many followers I have now, maybe 1,500 or 1,600, something like that. But I know that all of them, they're real hunters, they follow me. You know, I, I have roughly a 20% feedback, which is actually pretty good, you know. So, so I'm, I'm not, I mean, I use it as, a, as a, something as a tool to show, you know, to promote and to educate, but I don't crazy. I don't want to be the one that has the biggest, uh, yeah. the most followers and things like I that. You know? No, that's nothing wrong with that. Well, Bruno, this has been really great. I, I've um, just, you know, again, really thankful that I a met you when we were in Dallas, Likewise. and uh, and uh, it's just neat um, meeting you know, different outfitters across the world, especially, you know, Spain to me has always been a destination area and, and, and a place on my bucket list. And, uh, it's just, uh, it's good to, to understand kind of what you do and, and how you do it. And, uh, clearly, um, sounds like a quality experience, which is what I think, you know, hopefully the listeners leave with today is if they do come to Spain and, and come, um, to your outfit that they will leave with a quality experience. And sounds like you have a lot of people come back returning. So that, 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 that has to say something in it, itself. I agree. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, good luck um, this Thank year you. at the trade shows, uh, and uh, maybe someday we'll be able to share uh, share a hunt on the mountain together. Sometime. That would be awesome. Yeah, count on me. I, I really look forward to have you one day in the mountains and spend with me. That'd be awesome, Bruno. Thank you. Thank you, Lucas. All right, take care, and thanks, listeners, for listening. And we'll catch you next time for another venture on the RNA Outdoors podcast. Hey everyone, this is Lucas Paw, host of the RNA Outdoors podcast. Please check out Podbean and iTunes. If you have an iPhone or iPad, go to the podcast app on your device, search for RNA Outdoors, and hit the purple subscribe button. When doing this, it will automatically upload when new podcasts are loaded and they will download into your queue. For Android users, you can access the podcast through Podbean, Stitcher, or use our website www.rnaoutdoors.com forward slash podcast. In addition, under the RNA Outdoors podcast channel, please leave a review and a five-star rating. These reviews help boost our popularity and outreach. You can also follow us on our social media outlets, Twitter at RNA Outdoors, Facebook, RNA Outdoors, and Instagram, Rod and Arrow Outdoors. 
All links are in the show notes as well. If you like what you've heard, we hope you'll pass along our channel to your friends and colleagues. Keep up the good fight. We cannot sit by and watch the public lands devoted to wildlife protection wither away. There's simply too much at stake. Make your voice heard, speak up, and get involved with conservation efforts. And know that every little bit helps. As we say on the mountain, go farther, stay longer.